0: Okay, so this morning, if you've got your Bibles with you, won't you turn please to Matthew chapter 7. You can click there on the app or you can turn there if you've got a physical Bible. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, we've got some at the back there. We've got English Afrikaans and Zulu Bibles and there are also some kids' Bibles out there. So if you need one, please help yourself. They are free. You can, t- you can grab one. If you know someone that needs one, please take one for them as well. Um, we've got more in stock, so there's more than just the, the three each that are on the back there. But you guys are more than welcome to help yourself and take those and, and give them out as you feel the need. So that's what those are at the back there for. So Matthew chapter 7, we're in the gospel of Matthew. And um, what we're going to be looking at this morning, I didn't really know how to title it. So I've got like three titles, but I, I picked one up there and it's um, to know Jesus. So to know Jesus or um, true discipleship or what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus or what is discipleship look like and so there's because it's like I I couldn't narrow it down sometimes I struggle with titles it's probably the hardest part of the sermon is like you need this like edgy cool title but I I didn't get there this week um but anyway Matthew 7 we'll let the word speak to us rather than me but you know often so often in life we 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 have um we're trying to find new and better ways to do things like we always we always think like the new is better we've got this almost um chronological arrogance where we think that if something is old or the way it used to be done is, is not necessarily good. And, and in some cases that's true. We do progress and we do learn and we do grow, but we're always, you know, we've got this poor habit as humans of looking for the next best thing. We're, we're highly adaptable and so we get used to what we have at the moment real quick and we want the next best thing. We look for the next fad. We look for the next quick fix in life or, or the, the next thing that's going to make me happy. Um, and and we often like we think it's going to be this thing and then we get that thing and then like we realize oh wait it's not actually that thing we've got to and so we end up in this circle or cycle of repeatedly chasing after things that we think are going to make us happy and and we we figure out time and time again that those things don't but you know just in in reflecting on that that pattern um of this, of generations just searching for the next best thing in life not getting better on the whole you know despite how much we know we've We've never had better access and easier access to the amount of information than we have now. It is it is phenomenal. I mean, if you think about it, most of you will remember, you used to have to go to the library and like take out an encyclopedia. The young people, it was a really big book with lots of stuff in it. And you had to like look through it to find the information you wanted. And then, you know, like Britannica, Encyclopedia Britannica, they were like the holders of all knowledge. And that was what you now. In a, in a matter of moments, you can have information about absolutely everything that you think you need to know or want to know. And yet, despite having this massive access to information and despite the, the improved living conditions of most of the world, by, by and large, financially and, and money wise, most of the world is better off than it's ever been in history. More people are wealthier and living above what would be called the poverty line than has ever happened in history. And yet, in the midst of that, we're still living with many of the same problems that have plagued society and plagued humanity for millennia, for centuries. And I believe that the, the, the cause of that thing, the, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart, and it's the human heart in those things, because that hasn't changed. Despite all the external stuff that's changed in our lives and access to travel and you can go anywhere and live anywhere, and within reason, but... The problem is that the human heart actually hasn't changed too much. And so, you know, when we when we look at these things and we, we look for the uh, kind of the answers to some of the big questions in life, and, and our, very often we you know we wrestle with those big questions, we, we fumble about in our in our own cleverness. And the beauty of, of God's word is that it is alive and it is active and it speaks to us daily, and it is still so relevant. And into into this situation that we live in, for this morning, and I added this in in the end, which is maybe why it's a bit disjointed in the beginning. But but Jeremiah 6.16, and the prophet, God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, thousands of years ago, this is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look. So in other words, when you come to those places of decision, when you come to those moments in your life where you're like, this is a big thing, like I need to... I need to figure out where am I going? Are we carrying on straight? Are we going left? We're we going right. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your soul. Yeah. Such a beautiful such a beautiful thing. God's going, man, you don't need to keep looking for the new and the next best. Look for the ancient paths. God has put that stuff down and he's put it in there so that we can have rest. For our souls. Hey, when's the last time you asked someone how they were doing? And they were like, My soul is just at peace. I'm so at rest. It's been such a calm week. It's been amazing. He's never. You laugh because like you're trying to think, like, when last did I say that? And you're kind of like, mm. I was trying to think when last someone asked how you because we have this kind of moniker of like it's become like a social status thing. You're know, busy, Yeah, I'm so I'm busy. Like it's good, I'm running. It's been crazy. It's been, and we think, you know, we kind of, if we say Man, I've had such a calm week. People are like, are you, are you lazy? <laughs> like, what are you doing with your life? But honestly, we, this is what God says. When we, when we walk in the, ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. When we, when we choose, when we, when we not only know the ancient paths and the ancient ways, but when we choose to walk in it, we find rest for our souls. And that's a beautiful thing. So let's pray as we get going. Father God, I thank you that we can come and, and we sit under your word this morning. And Holy Spirit, I pray that it is, it is your word that uh, you speak to our hearts this morning, me included, Lord God, that it not be, let my words get in the way, Lord God, let your word speak to each and every one of us. I pray that for, uh, for each of us this morning, as, as we sit under, under your ministry, Holy Spirit, that you would come and advance your kingdom in our lives, advance your kingdom in us so that it can be advanced through us this morning. I pray that you make us more like you, Jesus, so that we can go and do what you did. Amen. 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 So, Matthew chapter 7, um, we're going to read quite a few verses. We're going to go from uh, verse 13 down to 27, but we're going to do it in chunks. Um, so, just we're going to look at these, um, there's, there's a few kind of stories and parables and things that Jesus tells out of here, and it's, it's the back end of what's known as the Sermon on the Mount, so Matthew 5, 6, and 7, um, this amazing teaching that Jesus gives some, some scholars and even some philosophers and people that are not followers of Jesus, call this one of the most profound teachings in human history. And it is, it is an incredible thing, and, and Dallas Willard argues, it along with a few others, that we should read it as a whole, 5, 6, and 7. It should be read as a sermon. Um, often we like to take out little parts, and, and we can only sometimes mentally handle like little bits and pieces at a time. But in order to properly understand it, we, want, we need to read it as a, as a whole sermon and what Jesus preached. If we take out sometimes the Beatitudes in the beginning, you know, the blesseds and all of that, we can sometimes get a, a wrong view of what te- Jesus was teaching. But, so I want to encourage you to go and read chapters 5 and 6 and, and hopefully it'll give you a bit of background context. We don't have time to do it now for time's sake, but we're going to jump straight into chapter 7. But just to put that into context of, of where we're at and, and what Jesus is doing. So in his teaching here, on the, on the back of all of that amazing teaching that Jesus gives, is he, he finishes it up with these, these last few teachings. And, and what I think he's getting at here is almost a closing and a landing to that Sermon on the Mount. is He's going, what, is it, what does all of this look like? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it look like to be a disciple, a true disciple of Jesus? So, verses 13 and 14, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be reading out of the NIV. So, if it's a little different from what you've got, um, that might be why. Verse 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Christianity and, and the way of Jesus is the most inclusive religion in the world, because it doesn't matter where you've come from. The, as we said last week, the invite is out there to every single person to come and follow Jesus. Anybody can be a follower of Jesus. You just need to acknowledge and accept what He did on the cross as being relevant for you. You need to know that what I needed forgiveness and what Jesus did on the cross paid for my sins, paid the price, and therefore I Am saved by his blood, and therefore, and because of his resurrection, I can live in life. And so, it's an open invite to anybody, but it is also an incredibly exclusive way in following Jesus. And this is what Jesus here says not my words, but his only a few find it the narrow way. It's incredible. There's he's literally saying this is a matter of life and death. And so what he's asking us to do as disciples is he's saying there are some who are saved and some who are lost. And it's an incredible thing. And people often ask, you know, how does a loving God send people to hell? And the question is flawed in two ways. One, because we're putting our view of love on God. And two, because God doesn't send people to hell. We choose it. By not choosing God, we choose the only other option that there is, is apart from God. And that's what he's saying here. Is He's saying there's this big wide road. that, And that's where most of the world lives. And they, they live on that thing. And nobody's asking questions. And they're just sheeple going along the road and walking into destruction. And he's going, pay attention. Look for the narrow path. It's, a, it's an active opting out of the mainstream, if you will. Good so what we're doing is, is, is looking at this thing and seeing that there's two gates. One that leads to death and one that leads to life. Now, if I put that choice... Before you, in that obvious way, which would you choose? Not a hard choice. But it doesn't always come that obvious to us. It sometimes comes in a far more subtle way, where it's how you speak about people, where it's how you treat other people, where it's how you share the gospel with someone. And we choose to behave like the world so often. And we choose that wide road because there are lots of people on it and it's comfortable and kind of the crowd's going that way. And to, have you ever been to a stadium and a, and a, and a, like a, a big or a um, music event or a big sports picture or something? And when you're leaving, so in and arriving, like people come in drips and drabs and all arrive, But when you're leaving, generally, like it's a crush to get out. I used to go to the Sharks Rugby Stadium every weekend when we lived in Durban, and, and coming out of there, there was always chaos to try and get out because it's at the same time. And you, you're like, if you try and go against the crowd, you realize you've forgotten something or you've lost something, you try and go back. It's hard, you're like, you're like a salmon swimming upstream there. You gotta people just, and that's what it's like. We've gotta got make that choice to go, hey wait, hang on. I don't need to just go along with the crowd. I need to look for those ancient parts and walk in those ways. Find the narrow, find the narrow gate, uh, the narrow road that leads to life. So that's the first one, the saved and the lost. It's a matter of life and death. And honestly, it is a minority position. If you choose to follow Jesus and and, and walk in that narrow gate, you're going to be different from most people. And people are going to ask, they're going to be like, hey, why do you do it that way? Like, why don't you behave like the rest of us? You go, well, because that leads to death. Sorry? What? And you, you understand and you get the opportunity to explain So that's the first thing, the saved and the lost. The second part, verse 15 to 20, reads like this Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire thus by their fruit you will recognize them man jesus gets harsh with something sometimes yeah we've got this picture of him with like this nice flowing light blonde hair light brown hair and like kind of scandinavian head taller than everybody else and like carrying a lamb but this is i mean what he's saying here is that like this some people are going to get cut down and thrown into fire it's hectic and so, so what he's getting at here with the second second portion of what we're going to read is that there are there are false prophets and there are true believers. There are false prophets and there are true believers. Straight out of the text, that's what the words say. And that the scary thing is that both can look absolutely identical. We it's it's hard sometimes to see just by People's actions and words and things like that. It's hard on, on first face value. We can be deceived by the way that people behave. I mean, if if you put it in sheep's clothing, he's obviously that's where that you know the old analogy comes from of a wolf in sheep's clothing. It's dressed to look like something it's not, so that it can get in the herd and eat the sheep. And the shepherd can't see it. And he's like, Well, I've only got sheep. How come the sheep keep dying? They're getting attacked by a wolf, but haven't and so in amongst that. There will be false prophets. And these, these people are deceivers. Their intention is destructive. And Jesus says that, that they will be known by their fruit, which is a metaphor for, like, what does your life produce? What is, what, is the, what is the result of your life? You know, we can often, we can often try things and, and, and wonder why we keep going, banging our head against the wall. Why do my relationships keep failing? What is it that's going on here? And you kind of go, well, let's look at the cycles and the patterns in your life. What do you keep doing? What do you keep saying? What do you keep going back to that's unhelpful? One of the, the ways that you've got to, that if, you, you know, if you're addicted to something, whether it be alcohol or drugs or whatever it is, to break an addiction, you've got to remove yourself from the situation where you always find yourself. So stop going to nightclubs and bars if you have a problem with alcohol. Makes sense, right? It's not the only thing, but it's helpful. You've got to break those cycles and break those patterns. But it's what Jesus is saying here is that our... By our fruit, we are known. So it's the And fruit takes time to produce. We've planted some trees. We've planted a lemon and an avo and, a, and an archie tree in our garden. We've been there nearly two years now. And we've still got no fruit. Don't laugh at me. My trees are growing. They're coming. <laughs> but that's how it is. Fruit trees take time to bear fruit. We didn't plant them as a seed. We planted them as saplings even. So they were already like a year old. But it takes time. You know, I was at, um, we were having um, a meal with some folks the other day, and, and part of his work is he looks after a, a, a nachi orchard. So on their farm, they've got a massive nachi orchard, and we drove in, and they were, they were tearing out the trees. They were, I mean, full-grown trees. They were cutting them down and tearing them out. And I was like, jeepers, what's going on here? And he said, no, we, we have to replant every 10 years. We have to change the trees. And I was like, wow, they've got, to, like, they've got to last longer than that. Does the production drop off? And he explained it to me, he said, no, what they do is they graft a nachi tree, like a branch, onto a lemon tree base. So it's like the, the bottom of the trunk and the roots are all from a lemon tree. Because it's stronger, it's more resistant to things, it grows quicker out of all of those farming things. So, and, but what happens is after sort of 9, 10 years, 11 years, the nachis end up becoming lemons. They start getting like a real thick rind inside and they get they start to get sour. So the lemon tree starts to come through eventually, and that fruit changes. It's incredible. It's an incredible picture of how long sometimes the behavior that we do bears takes to bear fruit. So what Jesus is getting at you is that evaluate the fruit on your life. You know, someone we, we can say, we can say, man, I I, I could tell you that I am a, an, an avid cyclist. But if you came and looked at my bicycle in my house, you would see it's real dusty, and only about four spokes are left unbroken on the back wheel. And you go, man, maybe you don't. You could check my Strava and be like, yeah, you don't ride so often. You yeah, know, but I'm a, I'm a cyclist. Oh, yeah, that's great, but you don't actually ride. So are you a cyclist? Oh no, not really. Simple analogy, but we have those things in our lives where we, we we think we are something, but we've got to look at our fruit. And it's the same with it's the same with you know people who we're listening to for teaching. You kind of you kind of go well, like, what is the fruit on your life? You want to have input into my life, but what is the fruit on your life? No use because again, it's it's like if you've got an illness. If if I've and it's not a nice analogy, but if I've got mumps and I want to give you measles, as hard as I try, I am going to give you mumps because that's the fruit on on. I cannot give you measles if I don't have it. Does that make sense? Okay, I'm waffling. So, next part. So that's the the false prophets and the true believers. So true believers, good fruit. Third group, the self-deceived, verses 21 to 23. And this is quite a scary one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Good grief. You kind of think like that's that's like if I, you know, we would look at it and go like if we assessed ourselves spiritually and we were prophesying, we were healing people, we were driving out demons, performing miracles, you'd be like that person's like he gold star, bro. He next level Christian that oh. And Jesus says, He says, Away from me, I never knew you, and then calls them evildoers. Man, that's, that's that sounds like you kind of, Jesus, this is getting a bit harsh, bro. Like you, you're being a bit, how does this work? But the key in that whole verse is where Jesus says, I never knew you. You see, we can we can do all the actions. This sounds like I'm contradicting myself, but it's, a, it's just a just stick with me here because I've just said it's about the fruit, yeah? But not me, Jesus said it's about the fruit. And then he goes into this thing and he says, It's not about your actions, it's about knowing me and me knowing you. And so, in this morning's sermon, that's where I got this title from to know Jesus, is because that is the key in our walk. We can do all the nice things, you can teach and prophesy and know the Bible and pray and heal people and it will be great it will be amazing and people will be blessed by it but it's not the main thing the main thing is to know Jesus and to be known by him because he said away from me I never knew you totally terrifying the appeal to charismatic behavior doesn't help because they have no real relationship with Jesus I want to ask you this morning how is your relationship with Jesus? Do you know Him? And and more importantly, does He know you? Because it's easy to know about Him and to go and do the stuff that we think He wants us to do. Action is way easier than relationship. And that is what religion is born out of. Religion is born out of trying to checkbox and trying to be like, I'm doing all the right things in my life and I'm living... But that's not what Jesus is after. Jesus is after relationship. He says, I want to know you. He's just said the behavior is important and we'll know by our fruit. But he counters it with, it's about knowing him and being known by him. Relationship with Jesus is the key. He takes on here an amazing role of judge. We just see it as a side thing. Fourth, the wise and the foolish, verses 24 to 7. And you kind of going, wait, hang on, you've just said it's about relationship. Now you're saying we must do what you, what is going, like, Jesus, what is it, bro? Like, which one is it? Do we, and that's the beautiful thing of this back and forth, why we had to, why I wanted to read so much this morning is because it's not one or the other. You with me? Yep. It's not about just profession and just saying we believe, and it's not about the action. It's not about just either one of those things. It's, it's a both and situation. They're not contradictory truths. It is simply how a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus lives. Is that we are, we are both those who profess and we are those who perform. Perform is the wrong word, but it just alliterates nicely. So it's not religion, it's relationship. That's what the base is. But it's not just talk. Talk is cheap. We know that. But it's also not just doing the right things and checking a box. Been to church on Sunday, read my Bible on Monday. Rest of the week is free. Check the boxes. It's about a relationship with Jesus. That's the form. But out of that relationship, it must look like something. Otherwise, there's no reality to that relationship. Are you with me? We're still there. So, interestingly in this light part, both the wise and the foolish hear the words of Jesus. They both That's what he's saying. He's saying, here's some guys who, who heard, some chose not to believe and do what I said, and some chose to believe. The difference is them putting into, into practice. Again, that action comes from the relationship. It stems from the relationship, not forms the relationship. So, for us, this might seem like a like an uncomfortable demand that Jesus makes of us, but if we're going to if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, it means that we need to be with Jesus to become like Jesus to do what Jesus did. That is essentially what it means to be a disciple, like an apprentice Or a trainee or something like that. Um, We had some some family of the Oscrofts that are out here. They've moved out from New Zealand. And their oldest son is busy doing an apprenticeship in New Zealand. And it's going to take him a while. Because he has to stay there and he has to go in every day. So he's done some theory and he's done some studying. And now it requires that as an apprentice, he goes in every day and learns from a master. He learns from a skilled electrician, welder, whatever it is, plumber that you're going to apprentice to. And it's a beautiful thing because he has to go in and learn how to look after his tools and go in and learn. You can only learn so much from the, from the notes. The rest is learned practically on the ground. And that's the same as our walk with Jesus. It's, a, it's an ongoing apprenticeship. We never become... He's always the master. It's a, it's a daily, lifelong process of apprenticing to Jesus and, and going in and going, right, Lord, how do we do it today? How do I handle this situation? I've got this. This is what I'm going up again. And, and it's that relationship is the key, and then out of that comes the action. So, how is? where does that come from for Jesus? How is He able to walk that way? How are, how are we able to, to choose the narrow path? How are we able to actively opt out of the mainstream? How are we able to do these things that He's calling us to do? Because they're incredibly difficult. And, and the first thing that we need... And I believe it's a a key for every one of us in, in settling our identity is to know that you are the beloved son or daughter of the Father. When we can settle that thing in our hearts, it sets us free from a lot of other stuff. Because our security is not in our action, but it is in who God says we are. And so when we settle that identity, it establishes the base for that relationship to be known by God and to know Him. And so if you get one thing out of this morning, I pray that you get that, that you are a loved son or daughter of God. Start there and it's easier to build on that. You know, God, it's, it's incredible that, that the Father says this to and about Jesus often in Scripture. At His baptism uh, is the most obvious and then on the Mount of Transfiguration as well and it's, it's like six or seven times that it says this. It says, in effect, in one way or another... A voice from heaven spoke and said, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. As a father, when you say that to your kids, there's a light that comes on inside of them. They look, it's built into us to look for approval from our parents. And when, when you speak to your kids, and, and I've seen it with mine, they, they think they, you know, let's say they're not my kids, but I've, I've heard other people's kids' the report cards are not great. but And we say to them, We say, man, I, I love you. I'm proud of you. Well done. And they're like, Oh, is it? It's you I love, not the report card. It's you. You're my son, and I love you, and nothing's going to. And that it's a light that comes on inside of them. And so, what God is doing by speaking this over Jesus and speaking it publicly is He's establishing that identity. So, if you get nothing this morning else besides this, please get that you are loved of God. You are a child of God that is loved. Is that okay? Good. All right. So, Jesus' actions are based on His relationship with the Father. He didn't come to give a great teaching, Um, he didn't come to just do healing, although he did all of those things. He didn't come to follow the Old Testament laws, as Jesus was Jewish, by the way, and and so he would have had to live in, in obedience to those Old Testament laws, and all 614 ordinances or whatever they were, aside from the Ten Commandments, but what he does do is Jesus does say, he says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And now he did things like he broke the rules of the Sabbath and he ate with people that he shouldn't have eaten with and mixed with other, and you're kind of like, wait, hang on, how are you? And he says, I'm not keeping the law, I'm fulfilling it. That's a beautiful thing, that out of that relationship, he's able to have the right behavior and the right action. But the beauty of it is that relationship is the opposite of religion. You see, religion is this impersonal rules and checkbox thing that I need to do, but a relationship is a personal being known thing. And we like religion, honestly we do, because it's, a, it's easy and, it's, and I don't have to crack my chest open and reveal who I really am. I can just keep God at arm's length and I can be, it's, it's nice, I can just, like, don't interfere in my life and, and I can just be over there. You can have these parts of my life that are real difficult at the moment, Lord, but the parts that are nice, like my wallet and my things, you can't have those. We, that's what religion does, is it separates it out. And, and honestly guys, some of us live in our marriages like that where we keep our spouses at a religious length. And we're like, I've done the right thing. I've bought her flowers. I've, you know, I've made, I helped make the bed. I helped hang up the washing. I'm such a good husband. Look at me. I'm sacrificing for my family. And we keep our spouses at checkbox level. And We're going to get into this in the family series that's coming up. But relationship is much harder because you kind of go to think like, what is she actually like or he actually like? What, what, what can I do to serve them? Not what do I need to do. And so it's a, it's a knowing and being known. It's that vulnerability of cracking open and going, this is my heart. Here I am laying it out. Please don't poke it hard. And then they do, and you're like, close it up, keep your arms. Relationship is tough. Religion is easy because it's just a simple, it doesn't involve you. It doesn't cost much from you. But Jesus doesn't want that. He wants all of you. See, religion also leads us into a country club mentality in church, in community and in our family, where we come and we're like, I've paid my tithes, now I want to get something, please. I'll come when I'm comfortable. I'll come when it's nice. And that's a religious mindset that says, "I, I, I need to get something out. I've paid my subs. I need to get something out of this. But a relationship says everything of me is yours. In a community, in a family as well. And that requires a lot more of us. And it's scary and it's but it is the narrow way. It is the ancient paths. It is the way that God says, Hey, these are the good ways for you. Walk in it. It is good for you to be in community. It doesn't say it's easy. If you ever lived in community and you've you've been here a while, you'll know there's some people that are gonna rub you up the wrong way. Probably me. But I mean, I'm gonna rub you up the wrong way, not not the other way around. So it's but what it is, is it's It's a relationship with one another. So out of our relationship with Jesus, we end up in a relationship with one another. And God says, that's good for us. That's part of the ancient paths. That's part of the the narrow path and the, the small gate that we need to walk through. So, I want to finish off with this. Dallas Willard, speaking about the Sermon on the Mount, reiterating the words of Jesus. He says, all who hear and do what he there says. In other words, talking about Five, 6 and 7 out of Matthew we'll have a life that can stand up to everything that is a life for eternity because it is already in the eternal man wouldn't you like to have a life that could stand up to everything it is sometimes it's you feel like stuff's coming at you and you're like I just cannot stand up today Willard has got a brilliant. Dallas Willard's got a brilliant teaching on the Sermon on the Mount he's one of the best expositors I think of, of this portion of scripture just the way he sees it is incredible and his summation of the teachings of Jesus in chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew is that if you will listen to what he says and you will live like that, as, as hard as it may seem and as awkward as it may be and as socially weird as it, what it may appear, you will have a life that can stand up to whatever is and a life that is eternal because it's already in the eternal. It's an incredible, incredible thing. And, and, and what he's getting at is that the deep... Comes before the dazzling. I didn't have, I didn't have time to make that, a slide for that one, but I thought it was quite a cool. A little, the deep comes before the dazzling. Yeah. So we are called to be a people who have a lasting impact on the world. You, you, you do realize that as, as you come to faith, Jesus didn't die to save you so that you could just come and sit on a Sunday morning and do nothing. And, and There is that, but there's more. He's called us also to be those who advance His kingdom. He says, I want you to go out into the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I have taught you and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He said, that's for each and every one of us. That is our role in the kingdom. How it looks is going to look different because of the gifts that God has given you. But that is our role, is to go out and make disciples. But from that, in in order to do that, we have to first live a transformed life. We have to first... Do the deep work before we can do the dazzling work. We have to allow God to bring transformation in us before He he can bring transformation through us into our communities. Does that make sense? We have to be changed before we can bring change about. That is the, the lasting fruit that we must bear. The much fruit, lasting fruit, and good fruit that we must bear must be from our lives before we can bring that fruit out into the communities where we're at. We don't need to wait for completion because we'll never be a complete disciple of Jesus. It is a process we're on. But we do need to be doing the deep work of a relationship with Jesus before we can do the dazzling work of doing what Jesus did. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your ancient ways, Lord God. I thank you that you have established what is good and what is right for us. And I pray, Father, that... that by your Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes to see what those things are in our daily lives. Help us to to move out of the unhelpful patterns that we're in, Lord God. Help us to move beyond the the repetitive behaviors that we are are stuck in sometimes, Lord God. Jesus, I pray that you would come and and bring change in each and every one of our hearts. I pray that that you would help us to be known by you. How that works and how that looks, we're not sure, Lord God, but we long to be with you now and on into eternity. And so I pray that by your Holy Spirit that you would remind us and bring us back to that relationship every time, Lord. I pray, God, that you would settle in our hearts that we are the beloved of you, Jesus, that we are loved sons and daughters of our Father in heaven. And from that place, that our relationship with you would grow daily, Lord. That we would be those who who long to to do what you did, but who first come from a place of being with you, Jesus. I pray your, your freedom over each and every one of us this week, Lord. Freedom to be who you've made us to be. That we wouldn't be those bound by others' expectations or what the world has put on us or even what we have grown to think of ourselves, Lord. Set us free from those and make us useful for your kingdom. We pray these things in your loving name, Jesus. Amen.